Right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on the new covenant in my blood. This is part three. Uh, we apologized last week. We couldn't make it, so we missed a week in, in between here. Um, uh, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who partner with us with their tithes and offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website, again, at lighthousediscipleship.org. On the top right corner of every page is a blue button that says Give, and you can give from anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom foot of every page on our website is our mailing address. If you're in the United States, just so you know, all of your tax contributions are 100%, excuse me, I said that one, all of your contributions are 100% tax deductible and we are 5063 church. Well, with all the announcements aside, let's go ahead and jump into our message this morning. I have a lot to cover this week and even into next week. I uh, won't be finishing this segment of our teaching this morning. Uh, let me first of all recap a few verses that were our uh, key verses in, in this series so far. Our key first uh, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, where Paul is talking about communion. And he begins to say, For I received from the Lord, which I also received to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then our key verse, verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the key phrase that we're focusing on and that we entitled this series on is, This is the new covenant in my blood. Okay? And we've been focusing on how the new, the new covenant and the blood of Jesus are connected. Okay? The new covenant in my blood. Um, this is echoed in Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus himself said at the last Passover, he said, this is my blood, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Peter says it this way, knowing that you were not redeemed with the corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And Paul echoes it in him when we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And again in Colossians, excuse me, Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, so again, that's just a quick recap. You, you, know, you can go to our archives and, and listen to our messages so far that got us to this point. But again, back to our key verse, this is the new covenant in my blood. And I want to focus more uh, this week and next week on the, the new covenant. And <coughs> excuse me, there's no better way to talk about the new covenant than going to the book of Hebrews, because the book of Hebrews is really talking about the theme of the whole book is talking about this new covenant, talking about a better covenant. Okay, we're going to get into that this morning. And really, you need to read the whole chapter. I really was going to focus on chapters 9 and 10 this morning, but in reading it, I felt like I needed to give more context, so we're going to actually focus on chapters 7 and 8 this morning. We could have actually gone back all the way to the beginning, if not even chapters 5 and 6, because the whole book is talking to the Hebrews. The Hebrews are the Jews, and they were the covenant people of God. 
And the writer of Hebrews is teaching the Jews, the covenant people of God, that we now are in a better covenant. Yes, there's, and there's many covenants throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. We have the uh, uh, Abraham covenant, okay? And we have the, 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 the covenant of the law, maybe we could call that the Mosaic covenant, okay? We have uh, the Noahic covenant through Noah. We have uh, Davidic covenant through David. And there's many other covenants, okay? The two main ones that you're going to hear a lot about is the, the covenant with Abraham and, and how and Paul deals with that a lot in Galatians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 4. And, and also in Romans, uh, the book of Romans as well. But, um, <coughs> excuse me, but what I want to spend time uh, this next two weeks is really going verse by verse in the book of Hebrews, starting with chapter 7. And really, we, again, we could really go back further uh, in chapters 5 or 6, especially as we're talking about the New Covenant. But we need to give a little bit of the backdrop to really give, to understand and appreciate uh, how all that Paul's trying to say, uh, the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, is trying to say in chapters 9 and 10, where I really want to get to. Okay? And so we're going to get that from chapters 9 and 10 next week. So we're going to be spending this week and next week in the book of Hebrews, some four chapters, and we're going to be basically looking at this verse by verse as well as some other commentary as we go forward. But again, in, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to the Jews, the covenant people of God, who had a covenant through the Levitical law, and what we call the Old Testament, what we call the Old Covenant. And remember, Paul says in Corinthians that the the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is the minister the, uh, the law, excuse me, is the, the, the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of death. And, and, and when we read the book of Moses, according to 2 Corinthians 3.14, there's a veil that lies over our minds. And the only way to remove this veil is to preach Christ. Because when Christ is preached, this veil is removed. And our ministry is not the ministry of the law, the ministry of condemnation and death. Our ministry is a ministry of righteousness, a ministry of the Spirit. What I'm quoting right now is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. And he goes on and on in chapter 5, and he calls this ministry the ministry of reconciliation. For he who knew no sin, for he, he who knew sin became sin, that we might become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. I don't have time to reteach all that right now. I've talked about it in previous weeks. But what I want to do now, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. In the, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, and we're going to be, again, talk about a better covenant. And we have a better covenant. And and so uh, then and we're going to talk about, rather than me just teaching on why it's a better covenant, we're going to let the scriptures teach, as, as the writer of Hebrews teaches the Jews, the Hebrews, why we are in a better covenant. Okay, we're not here bashing the old covenant. We're doing what the scriptures teach us, and we are uh, adopting and we are um, believing the new covenant, the new covenant in his blood. And we'll spend more time on the blood in a couple weeks, okay? And not that we won't relate to it uh, uh, this week and next week, but we're going to be talking about the new covenant and how uh, the Bible of Hebrews tell, teaches it. Hopefully that makes sense.
So that's my introduction to my introduction. So, okay? And so, excuse <coughs> me. So we're, um, when we know when you read the book of Hebrews, especially in chapters 5, 6, and 7, and even into chapter 8, you'll see that we are not only in a new covenant, but a covenant, but we are under a better priesthood. We are under a different priesthood. Okay? And let's go to verse 11. Therefore, if, if, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, that's old priesthood, for under it the people received the law, under the Levitical priesthood, the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called, called according to the order of Aaron? Now, there's a lot here in, that, that we need to understand that, to appreciate this new covenant. There's four things I'm going to highlight this morning. The first one, and we're going to be looking at it multiple times, is that we are under another priesthood. We are under a better priesthood. Okay? So, if you're taking notes, that would be four things that we're going to be talking about. The first one is, is that we are under a better priesthood. Okay? And the law came under the Levitical priesthood. But the, the Levitical priesthood, the, the law, it could perfect if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, there would be no need for another priesthood. See, the law, the Levitical priesthood, could not perfect anything. It's called the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of death. It can only condemn things. It can only kill things. Okay, the letter kills. But it's the spirit who brings life. Okay, and this other priesthood is not according to Melchizedek. Now, there's going to be four times in the book of, uh, in, in the chapter, in chapter 7, that the writer of Hebrews talks about this Melchizedek. He started talking about earlier, uh, and I think in chapter 5. <coughs> okay? And Jesus, who we're talking about here, is not from the Levitical priesthood. He's from the Melchizedek priesthood. Okay? And we'll see the importance of that in, in a few moments. Okay? Okay? And so... Jesus is the high, is our great high priest here in the new covenant, and he's under he's not he's, and this new priesthood is better than the priesthood of Levi because he's not from Levi he's not from the tribe of Levi and we're going to see that here in just a, in a second okay and so going on to verse twelve for the priesthood being changed there's a change of priesthood of necessity. There's also a change of the law. And we're not going to spend a lot of time with that, but when there's a change of priesthood, there's also a change of the law. And so that's a, that's a big eye opener for anyone who, who uh, is very legalistic. For he of whom these things are spoken, and he's talking about Jesus, belongs to another tribe. It's not the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Levi, where the law comes from. But from which no man has officiated at the altar. No, nope. <coughs> only through the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood, did they officiate at the altar. No other tribe did. That wasn't their job. But the tribe of Levi did. Okay. Again, he's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the Hebrews. He's talking to the covenant people of God who, who were very loyal to the law, to the, to the Levitical priesthood. <coughs> but he, the writer of Hebrews is bringing out he's through scripture and even through the law he's bringing out scripture that there's been a change of priesthood 
and there, there's also been a change of law. Okay? For it is evident that our Lord, again, talk about Jesus, arose from Judah. That's a different tribe. See, we have a, not only a new covenant, and not only do we have a new priesthood, which we're mainly talking about right now, but we also have a new, whole new tri tribe. Okay, the priesthood didn't come from, it's not a new tribe, like as in a new tribe popped up. No, it's, the, this priesthood is coming from a different tribe. It's not coming from the Levitical uh, tribe. It's coming from the, the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. And I almost spent more time on this a few weeks ago in another series. But what is evident that our Lord is evident. Who's evidence to that? Okay. And our Lord arose from Judah, of which the, which the tribe of Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me again. And it's yet far more evident in the likeness of Melchizedek. This is the second time he brings up Melchizedek. There arises another priest, again another priesthood, who has come, not according to the law, which is from the Levitical priesthood, of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. There's a lot here that I've, I'm glancing over. I can go a lot deeper than I'm choosing to go to this morning. But I'm really just trying to highlight certain, certain things that we are under a better covenant, which we really haven't gotten there yet. Uh, we're under, but before we go there, prerequisite to that is understanding that we're under a new priesthood. And under a new priesthood, we're under a new law. And this Levitical priesthood did not come from Levi, where the Levitical priesthood comes from. It comes from the tribe. Of, it's a whole different tribe. Okay? And that, to the Jews, and even to some of us legalistic Christians, that is very, uh, that's a reformation. That's, that's, that, that, that will reform the way that you live and believe, and believe okay? It, it's turning their whole world upside down, especially for the Jews, okay? So we're from a new tribe. Okay, just look at my notes, see if I got anything. If we got anything. Let's verse 17. For he testifies, and talk about Jesus, you are a priest, or God, talk about God, it's testified, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's the third time he brings that out. For on the, so, so Jesus is not after the priesthood of Levi, he's at the order of Melchizedek. And you can read about Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. Okay? And, and, and we might go there if we have time. For on, on one hand, there is an annoying of the, of the commandment. There's a knowing of the, of there's a change of law. There's an unknowing going on. Okay? Because of his weakness and unprofitableness. Why do, really what we're getting, trying to get to, and we haven't got there completely yet, we're in a new covenant. We are in a better covenant. And there's an unknowing going on. There's an unknowing of the law. There's an unknowing of the old covenant. Why? Why? Because it was weak. And it was unprofitable. The law doesn't profit you. It's the ministry of condemnation of death. Okay? It, the scriptures teach it was imperfect. Okay? Now, we're not totally wiping out the baby out with the bathwater. Okay? But at the same point in time, it cannot, the law does not have the capacity to save you. The law can't, can't, um, it doesn't show mercy. It doesn't show grace. 
The law is holy and good, and we're going to see this more next week, but the, even the law itself was dedicated by the blood, which we're talking about, the, the, the new covenant in my blood. Okay? And we'll spend more time with that next week. Okay? So I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But, so we, we have a, there's two, four points I'm bringing, bringing out this morning. The first one is that we're in a new priesthood. We're not quite done with that topic because it's going to keep coming up. Okay? But, um, but we have a whole new priesthood and we have a whole new law and commandments because it was weakness. Verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty frank, okay? The law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope. That's the second thing we're going to bring out this morning. The first one, that we have a new priesthood. The second one is that we have a better hope to which we draw near to God. The law can make anyone perfect. But on the other hand, we have a better hope which through which we draw near to God. See, this new covenant, this new hope enables us to draw near to God. Because the number one thing that God wants is a relationship. He's not after religion. He's after a relationship with us. Okay? And so, but if you are legalistic under the law, you drive people away from God, not near to God. Legalism will draw people away. Okay? You drive people... You will drive people away when you are legalistic. Okay? Now, am I saying we can just live any way we want to? No. Because we're not under the law. We're under grace. Grace, according to Titus 2, 11 and 12, will teach you to live God. And we'll get into this. We are a new creation. We are holy not because of ourselves. We are holy because of Jesus. And we, have a, we don't have a desire to... to violate God. We don't have a desire to to disobey God. We have a desire to draw near to Him. Okay? Grace, this new covenant, this new hope, this better hope, draws you to God, not away from God. It draws you, we have a desire to draw near to God, to be with God, to be godly, God-like, to be Christ-like, not to be ungodly, and not to be away from God. I'll spend more time on that a little, in a little bit later. See, in Romans chapter 3, Paul says, Therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in sight. For by the law is a knowledge of sin. The law is a knowledge of sin. Okay? Why? Because the law, and I, I, I can bring more scriptures on the screen here, in Galatians, Paul says how the law is our teacher, our, our schoolmaster, if I should, let me say that better, okay, to bring us to Christ. The purpose of the law is to bring you to Christ. Paul goes on to say in Timothy, knowing this, that the law is not for a righteous person. No, the law is for the lawless. <coughs> Excuse me. What's the law for? It's for the lawless. It's for the insubordinate. It's for the ungodly. It's for sinners. 
It's for the unholy and profane. It's for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. It's for manslayers. Verse 10. Excuse <coughs> me. It's for fornicators. It's for sodomites. It's for kidnappers. It's for liars and perjurers. And if there's any, any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, the law is for that. So again, we're not teaching grace so we can do anything we want. No, we're against all these things. But if you're living like this, if you believe this, if you're fighting to do these things, well, the law is for you. The law, the law is a point that you need a Savior. And you're not it. Okay? And so the law is to teach you that these things are wrong. It's a ministry. It's here to condemn you. It's here to kill you. It's a ministry of condemnation. It's a ministry of death. But it can't save you. But it can point you to Christ, the Savior, who can save you and show you grace and mercy. The law doesn't grade on the curve. The law is black and white. There's no gray. Okay? The law can't justify you, but Jesus, our new priest, and the brother covenant, can. And he did. Through the, through, the, through the cross. Okay? The law can't save you. The law can only show you your sins, and it can only kill you. It's a ministry of death. It's a ministry of condemnation. But Jesus, at the beginning of, of Hebrews chapter 7, the writer says how Jesus is our king of righteousness. He's our king of peace. And we pick it up in verse 22. Well, first, first, go back to verse, verse, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's the bringing in of the better covenant, uh, of a better hope, excuse me, through which we draw near to God. Verse 20. And, and inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for, so there's no oath under the oath covenant, an oath is speaking of covenant, but they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath, by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the, the order of Melchizedek. That's the fourth time he's brought that up. Okay, verse 22. But so much more, so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And this is the main point that we're trying to bring out this morning. It's the third of four, third of four things I'm bringing out. We talked about how we are under a new priesthood which means we're also in our new law from a different tribe. But also, we talked about how we are in a better hope, and now we're talking about we are in a better covenant. We're going to spend more time on this because this is our main point that we're trying to bring out this morning. Okay, but <coughs> Jesus has become the surety, the guarantee of this covenant, of this new, this better covenant that we have. Okay? And so, the better, the, the, so, we have a new priest, and we're not quite done with that topic. We have a better hope that drives us to God, not away from God. And we have a better covenant of, by which Jesus is a surety, by which Jesus is the guarantee. How do we know he's a surety? How do we know that he's a guarantee? Because of what he did for us in dying, and he, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteous of God in him. 
Jesus took our sin and he crucified. He took our Jesus. See, the, the law condemned us, but Jesus became our sin and he also became our death penalty and he took our consequence. We had to die because of sin. We've all committed a sin. And we were all born in sin because of Adam. But Jesus, that's all why we have the whole virgin birth. Jesus was not born of man. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. It's the male who has the seed. And when we celebrate Christmas, the Christmas story, we're talking about the whole virgin birth. But Jesus was born of, of, of incorruptible seed. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 1.23. We too are born, not, again, again, not of corruptible seed through Adam, but of through the corruptible seed of Christ by the enduring word of God. Okay? It's the word of God. It's the seed of God's word by which we are born again. And we are born, uh, we're not born of flesh, because whatever is flesh is flesh, whatever spirit is spirit. But we are crucified in Christ. It's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. I'm going through that quite quite fast because I taught that at length and we'll, we'll spend more time on that as we go forward. But Jesus is a guarantee because of what he did in taking our sins and he, he gave us our righteousness. Okay? And, excuse me, I'm just looking at our notes here real quick. And we'll look at this a lot more detail, especially next week, but our record was expunged. Our sin was crucified. Our death penalty, everything that was against us, was expunged. And we'll go on to look at it in just a few moments in chapter 8. God, God said he has no remembrance of our sins because our sins were expunged. And we have a whole new life. And when you understand what I'm trying to teach you, and I haven't fully taught, taught it yet, but when you understand this, it will cause you to live differently. It won't cause you to live in sin. It will cause you to live, live a, a life that's holy and pleasable to God. It will cause you to live a life that draws near to God, that seeks God, that wants a relationship with God. Okay? Too many people are still living, especially even, even in the church, even in the New Testament. Too many people are living like the Old Testament. <coughs> they might not have the sacrifices and the animals. Okay? But they are living. They are living. They are doing the sacrifices without the animals in many ways. Okay, we can't go back to the old covenant. We can't go back into the old wineskins. Okay, we can't improve on what Jesus did on the cross. We can't improve on that. Okay, we can't make it better. If the old covenant wasn't suffice, living like the old covenant is not going to be suffice either. There's only one thing that suffice, and that is the blood of Jesus, the blood of his covenant. Okay, let's go back to verse 19 for a moment. But the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's the bringing in of a better help, which through it we draw near to God. See, the law, again, made nothing perfect. And we're going to see that through this new covenant, through this priesthood, through the blood of Jesus, we've been made perfect. Where our sins have been our sins have been expunged, where our lawless deeds have been expunged, and God doesn't even remember them. Okay, <coughs> Jesus came to do what the law could not do. See, the law couldn't set us free. The law could not uh, 
save us. The law could not redeem us. So Jesus came to do what the law could not do. He didn't come fulfill the law so that we are not, no longer under the law. We'll get to that in just a moment. He fulfilled the law so we are no longer condemned. For there is now no, no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. So that we can have a relationship with God. The law couldn't do that. All the law could do is you're wrong. You're wrong. There was no mercy. There was no grace. The law was a ministry of condemnation. The law was a ministry of death. But we are under a better priesthood. We are under a better commandment. We are under a better covenant. We are under a better hope. Okay. Verse 22 again. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because there were, they were prevented by death from continuing. They couldn't, they couldn't be a priest forever. Why? Because they died. Okay? But he, talking about Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. There's a priesthood coming back again. Therefore, he is also able to say to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, the Old Testament priests, they died through the Levitical priesthood. These priests through the tribe of Levi, after Aaron, the, the, the first high priest, they died. They were replaced. Why? Because they died. Okay? But Jesus lives forever. And his priesthood is unchangeable. Okay? There's not going to be another priest after Jesus. Now, we are a royal priesthood, and we'll get to that later. Okay? And so we are all kings and priests, but he's the high priest. Just like in the Levitical priesthood, there were multiple priests, but there was always one high priest. But we're not after the priesthood of Aaron. We're not after the priesthood of Levi. We're after the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is after the priesthood. We are of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Okay? And I love this phrase. He is also able to say to the uttermost. He's able to, he alone can save to the uttermost. You can't get more saved than what Jesus can do. The other priests, the other high priests couldn't do that. But Jesus can save to the uttermost. Now we have also, in previous studies, this church has been going on for nine years, and we've talked at length about this word saved. We're looking in, we're, 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 we're in the New Testament right now, and that, in, 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 the, in the Greek, that word is sozo, the short form, sozo. And if you study that out, it means wholeness, it means healing, it means prosperity, and it means deliverance. In the, to the Jews, in the Hebrew, the word is Yeshua, and it means the same thing. Wholeness, healing, prosperity, and deliverance. So Jesus is able to say, first of all, forgive you of your sins, redeem you, and make you whole to the uttermost. He's able to heal you to the uttermost. He's able to prosper you, provide for you to the uttermost. And he's able to deliver you to the uttermost. I mean, I could spend the rest of the, 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 the morning just on this phrase right here, that he's able to save to the uttermost. 
whatever you need, whatever you've done wrong, whatever is wrong in your life, Jesus is able to save and redeem you to the, to the uttermost. There's nothing too difficult for God. There's nothing that this new covenant, this new hope, this new priesthood can't provide for you. Because Jesus, what he accomplished through the cross as our great high priest, will save you to the uttermost. That's awesome. If that does not get your fire burning, your wood is wet. Okay? Let's go back to verse 22 for a moment. But so much more, Jesus has become a surety. Not only can he save to the uttermost, but he is a guarantee that he can save to the uttermost. Okay? Because of Jesus. See, I'm just making my notes here. Again, I already brought this out, how this, he, 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 he's, able, he's a guarantee of your covenant, of, of, of being healed, of being made whole, of, of peace and, and deliverance and prosperity in your life. See, one thing we're talking about is because of Jesus. It's not your work. It's not your performance. It's the performance of Jesus, what he did for us at the cross. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about how we are, we are under a new priesthood, we are under a new covenant, we are under a new hope, and I got those out of order, okay, but I'm going to go back to this priesthood just for a moment, okay, let's go to verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us, who, he's talking about Jesus, is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices. In other words, this high priest, not only is he perfect, unblemished, but he doesn't have to offer sacrifice daily to offer sacrifice first for his own sins and then also for the people's. For he, Jesus, did it once and he did it for all when he offered up himself. We are in a better covenant with a better priesthood. Not, not only a priesthood who is not undefiled and, and harmless and who is holy. But he, because of this, because this is true, he doesn't have to offer it again and again and again daily. He once offered it once and he offered it once and for all. Jesus is not going to the cross again. Jesus already went to the cross. And the proof of that is that he rose from the dead. The proof of that is that he's alive. He was raised, as Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our righteousness. Okay? But I just want to highlight something here. <coughs> and he has become higher than the heavens. Well, what, is, what does all that mean? Well, when I, when I see this, I think of uh, Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about, excuse me, I thought that's where I was going to go. I guess we're going to go there in just a moment, okay? Scratch what I just saying, we'll go there in just a moment. For the law appoints us high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath, which came out from the law, appoints a son who has been perfected forever. So, again, I, I think I might have lost your track because I was going to go a different direction. I'll go that direction in just a moment. 
But um, because he's perfect, the law could not perfect anything. But because he was perfect, he was able to perfect everything once and for all. But the law points such as a high priest, a man who had weakness. They can perfect anything. They had, to, they had to sacrifice not only for the people, but also for themselves. But Jesus didn't have to do it for himself. He did it for us. But the word of the oath, he's talking about this covenant. He's talking about this better covenant from a different priesthood. Because the others didn't have an oath. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, it didn't come because of the law, it came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. He lives forever. And the proof of that is that he rose from the dead. Okay? But I want, what, I want, what I was going to do, I was going to piggyback on this, and I'm being hired in the heavens. Because it says in Philippians chapter 2, and being found in the appearance of the man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. He humbled himself. He came to earth to become a man so that he could die for us. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. <coughs> Excuse me. And given him the name which is above all names, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and those in heaven, and those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but because of what Jesus did as our great high priest through the new covenant, every knee will bow and confess. God has exalted him to the highest place. To the highest place. And I don't care what you're going through. It all has a name. Sickness, strife, depression, whatever it might be, any type of sin, addiction, must bow to the name of Jesus, both in the heaven and on the earth and even below the earth, which is hell. Okay. Now let's go to chapter 8. That was all chapter 7. And I love this because he starts right off with a bang. Everything that Paul, everything the writer of Hebrews has said up to this point, the first seven chapters, was prerequisite to what he's going to say here in chapter 8, 9, and 10. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. Everything he said has been prerequisite, is setting the stage, is setting the, the opening and closing argument to make this point. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesties in heaven. He's seated. I spent a lot of time on this in weeks past. But he's seated because the job is finished. He's seated because we have the victory. There were no chairs in the original in in, in the Old Testament tabernacle because their work was never done. But Jesus is sitting down in the heavenly tabernacle because their, their work is done, and He's seated at the right hand of God. The main point that He's trying to make in the Book of Hebrews you can't miss it. If you miss it, you're not reading it because He says this is the main point. We have such a high priest who is sitting down, who's resting. And making his enemies his footstool. Okay, at the right hand of God, the throne of majesty in heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which God erected in that man. I love this. Because not only is this true, that he, the main point is that he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. 
but he's ministering. He's still ministering. Because what did the what in the Old Testament? What did the what did the priests do? They ministered, and they have offers. Yes, yes, we focus on them offering sacrifices daily, <coughs> and we already highlighted that we he's not doing that continually. But Jesus is still our high priest. And he's still our mediator between God and man. And he's still ministering today. He's still serving today. He's not, he's not making blood sacrifices anymore. He's not sacrificing animals. He's not going to the cross again. But he's ministering. And he's ministering at the sanctuary, which we'll bring out as the holy place. Not the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the, the holy place. We'll bring that out in just a moment. And now the true tabernacle. Moses' tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, was not the true tabernacle. We'll see in just a moment. It was a copy. The true tabernacle is in heaven. Okay? And he's ministering in the true tabernacle of God. Not the copy, not the shadow, not the pattern, not, not the... Not, not the one, not the tabernacle that was made after the pattern, okay? But the two tabernacle of God. Verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Excuse me, therefore it's necessary. <coughs> excuse me, therefore it's necessary that this one, talking about Jesus, also have something to offer. For he were, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. If Jesus was on the earth, he would not be a Levitical priest. First of all, he's not from Levi. He's from Judah. Okay? Who, uh, since there are priests who offer the, the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy, the Old Testament Tabernacle of Moses was a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, of the true tabernacle, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, God said, see that you make all these things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Okay? The only thing I'm trying to bring out here is that the, uh, the tabernacle of Moses is just a copy, it's just a shadow. It's just an illustrated tabernacle to illustrate what is really taking place through the blood of Jesus in the true tabernacle of God in heaven. This is awesome. Okay? And so this is great if you understand what we're trying to teach you. But now, when's now? Now is now. It's not yesterday. It's not tomorrow. But now, he has obtained a more excellent ministry. The Old Testament two priests were ministry. And I brought it out before in Corinthians that the, the, there was a glory of the old covenant. There was a glory, there was a ministry, the ministry of condemnation death. But now we are in the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the spirit. We are that's even more glory glorious. So what I'm trying to relay right now is from Second Corinthians chapter three, verses seven through basically the end of the chapter. And he has obtained a more excellent ministry, in as much he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. <coughs> so this is kind of the fourth thing I'm trying to bring out this morning. I already talked about how we are under a new and better priesthood. 
We have a better hope. We have a better covenant, which we're still talking about. And we have, they're established on better promises. This hope, this covenant, this priesthood that he's a mediator of, it's established on better promises. A be, it's a covenant. A covenant is a promise, but it's more than a promise. Okay? It's deeper, it's more, and, and a covenant is not a contract. Okay? A covenant is forever. A marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not a promise. It, there's promises in it, but it's a covenant. It's a covenant relationship. It's till death do us part. Okay? And so, Jesus has attained a more excellent ministry in that he's a mediator. We don't need any other mediator because we have Jesus. Of a better covenant. And this better covenant is established on better promises. And why is it better? Because of Jesus. Jesus makes it better. Okay. He is the surety of this covenant. He's the guarantee of this covenant. In many ways, he's the substance of this covenant. He is the covenant. Okay, it's a covenant of his blood. And we're going to get to the blood part in more detail in chapter 9 next week. Okay, so let's finish up this week though. Okay, I still have some room to go. So, Jesus makes it better. Because he's a surety of that promise. Going back to verse 7. For that first covenant, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, had been faultless, so there was fault with it. I didn't say it in the Bible. The Word of God says it was faultless. For the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. If something was fine, you don't, you don't need to replace something that's broken. Okay? Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of what? Judah. Not Levi. Judah. With Jesus as the line of Judah. Okay? So, but all that's just commentary to me. What's more important that, again, he promised them, and this is, he, the writer of Hebrews is quoting the, from the Old Testament, and he says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay? And so, Verse 9, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. We'll come back to some of this in just a moment. See, in the Old Testament, it was you do this, and I'll do this. And we couldn't do it. We didn't continue in his covenant. And it's not our covenant. It was God's covenant. It was the old covenant. Okay? But we didn't continue it. Okay? And that's why it was faultless. I mean, that's why it had fault because it was dependent on us. On our performance. The fault wasn't the covenant. The fault was us. We couldn't keep it and we didn't keep it. 
we and, and because and because we didn't keep it according to the terms of the covenant, we were disregarded. Okay, that were the terms. But in the new covenant, that's established on better promises, under a better priesthood, with a better hope, and a better priesthood. I think I already said that. God fulfilled righteousness, the righteous requirements of the law. Well, I could spend a lot more time on that, but Jesus, he didn't, he fulfilled it. He fulfilled the death penalty. Because the, 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 the ministry of the law, the administration of the law, was the administration of death and condemnation. Because we sinned, and because there was sin, man had to die. We each had to die. We all deserved hell. Each and every one of us. Okay? But he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteous of God. He became sin. He became our propitiation. He became our substitute. He became our scapegoat. So that we didn't have to die. And, and, and in doing that, he fulfilled the requirements of the law. What were the requirements of the law? Death. That was the requirement of the law. He fulfilled the requirement of the law. What was the requirement? Death. Okay, it was the ministry of death. Jesus fulfilled it. He fulfilled his promise to keep it. And then he made it available to us. And we call that grace. Okay? See, verse 10. For this is the covenant. Now we're going to get to the good part. This is the covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now we're not done yet. There's still some more verses to, to what this covenant is. But this is the covenant. And this covenant, remember we have a new priesthood? And because we have a new priesthood, we have a new law? And he does put the, his laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Okay? But before I get there, I'm going to spell on that, okay? The goal that God wants his laws in our minds and our hearts, yes, but ultimately he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. That's his goal. He wants a relationship with us. He doesn't, he, yes, he wants a friendship. Yes, he wants to be like a father to us. Yes, he wants to be our shepherd. Yes, he wants to be our king. Yes, he wants to be our Lord. But ultimately, he wants to be our God. Because there are some things in your life that you can't do. And no human could do it. And no human can do it. There's only, there's some things in your life that only God can do. And he wants to be your God, and he wants to be your he wants you to be his people. People that trust him, people that are in relationship with him, people who rely on him, people who obey him, not just because he's their Lord. Yes, Jesus is our Savior and He is our Lord, He's our King. But we obey Him not because He is Lord over us. We obey Him because we trust Him. He's a good master. He's a good king. He's a good, good father. Okay? 
Now, I'm going to come back to some names here in just a moment. Okay? But let me go to verse 11 real quick. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none of them his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. The goal of the gospel, the goal of this new covenant, is that we know God. That we know the Lord. And this word know, if you study out, means intimacy. It's the same connotation where Mary said, how can this be since I've never known a man? It's talking about a relationship with God. The goal of the gospel is a relationship with God. Great people of faith are people who know God. Okay? Even Jesus said in John 17, 3, in the prayer before he went to the cross, he said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Peter says it this way, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we've been given, given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Remember the covenant is established on better promises? Okay, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through us. There's a lot in here. I wish I had time to, to expound on this more. But grace and peace is, is multiplied to you when you know him. And everything that you need, everything that you need for life and godliness is in the knowledge of him. That, and he has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. This covenant is established on better promises that through these promises, that through this covenant, is established on great and better promises that through this you may be partakers, not bystanders, not someone who's watching from the crowd, but partakers of the divine nature of God, having escaped the corruption that's in this world through us. Okay? It's not me. It's not about me. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing Jesus. It's, that's eternal life. That's the abundant life that Jesus gave us through the cross, through the covenant of his blood. Okay? See, it's not about me because I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not my power. It's not my strength. It's not my ability. It's not my holiness. It's not my righteousness. It's not my sanctification. It's not my justification. It's, it's not my self-righteousness. If I'm dead, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus living in me. For, for he who made him who knew no sin to be sin for me that we might become and when you say this word become, it means to be born of, that we might be born of the righteousness of God. Not in myself, but in Him. <coughs> Excuse me. There's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament that talk about who we are in Him. Okay? And so, many of us might feel like we're stuck, like Paul, who said, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I do, will do, do. I do not practice for what I hate. That I do. Some of us feel stuck. What we don't want to do, we do. What we know we should be doing, we don't end up doing. 
Okay, that's my paraphrase version of that. We can feel stuck like Paul, and we need to see Jesus. We need to know Jesus. We need to know God. Okay? We need to know Him. We didn't. We also need to know who we are in Him. I'm really trying to piggyback on, excuse me, I'm going to go back real quick. I'm really trying to piggyback on this phrase here, here that um, His laws are written in our hearts and our minds. And He will have to teach His neighbor to know Him because we will all know the Lord. We've been born again. We've been crucified. We have the knowledge of God. Okay? We become the righteous God of Him. And it's Christ who lives in us. And we don't need to be taught it. We just need to know who we are. We need to know who He is. Who are we in God? Who are we in Him? Paul says in Ephesians, um, I was going to go here. 5.8 For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You were once in darkness, but now you've been translated into the light of it, of it your son. We need to understand who God is. We need to understand this covenant that he's made with us. And we need to understand who we are in him by covenant. Who we are in him by covenant. Because whoever you are in Christ, you being a Christian, being a believer in Christ, is something that is a covenant. And it's not based on you and what you've done. It's based on him and what he's done. Okay? God says it this way. Whoever abides in him does not sin. For whoever sins has neither seen him nor, nor knows him. See, we're talking about knowing God. Eternal life is knowing him. And those who don't know him, yes, they do sin. Because they don't know him. But those who abide in him... They do not sin. Okay? Why? You were once in darkness. You were once in darkness. But now you are in the light. So walk as who, walk like who you are. You don't walk like who you are to become who you are. You walk like you are because you've already become who you are in Jesus. You've already received him. So walk like who you are. Stop walking. Stop walking like a dead man. Because you, 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 you're crucified in Christ. Your old man is dead. Don't walk like a dead man. Walk like a, uh, who you are in Christ. Walk like who you are. Okay? You are in the light. And when you turn to the light, darkness becomes powerless. Darkness has no power in light. When, when you're in a dark room, how do you expel that darkness? You turn on the light. You ever walk in a dark room and turn on the light? That darkness expels. Darkness, scientifically, is only the absence of light. Okay, God never created darkness. There was darkness already existed. He created the light. Okay? We need to understand who we are. We need to understand that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We need to understand who we are in Him. And what he's done through this better covenant that's established on better promises has our new hope and high priests. We need to understand these new promises. Because in these promises is how we overcome and partake of his divine nature. And he's the light. God is the light of the world. 
And he said that we are the light of the world. And we can walk in the light. I'm sanctified by the blood of Jesus. I'm justified by the blood of Jesus. So walk like it. Talk like it. Act like it. Not to become it, but because you are it. Temperance, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the flesh. You don't control the flesh by the flesh. You control the flesh by walking in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. I'm a child of God. I'm born of God. So walk like it. Talk like it. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm sanctified by the blood of Jesus. So walk like it. Talk like it. Walk in the light as you are already in the light. Because of what? Jesus. Not because of you. You didn't walk in the light to become the light. That does, that's not how it works. Okay? But when you understand who you are, it changes how you live. It changes how you walk. Okay? We, again, well, you were once in darkness, but now you are light and, and children of the light. Okay? Again, John says, Jesus said to John, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And to the knowledge of God, everything you need for life and godliness is in this knowledge of God. You need healing, you need wholeness, you need provision, whatever you need. Abide in Him, you can ask, and it will be done for you. Okay? That's how we have a great, and I'll, I'll get into some of these promises better later, but we've already talked at this at length and many times in the weeks past. Okay? We ask, and it will be done for us. The key is abiding in Him. The key is relationship with Him. The key is knowing Him. Okay? And so, again, He says, if you abide in me, you and my words by you, you can ask for me, well, it will be done for you. And he who abides him doesn't sin. Anything that's not of faith is sin, according to the, the word of God. And so how do we be people of faith? We know who we are. We know who he is. And we know what he's done for us. Know him. See who he is. Jesus, turn on the light. If you can't see, turn on the light. Jesus is living on the inside of you. He's not far away. Stop looking here and there and stop looking to see where he is. The light is greater than darkness. And it expels the darkness. Let's go back to verse 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. This is the covenant. That's why he said, This is the covenant. This covenant is that we know God. This is awesome. If you understand what I'm trying to teach this morning, I'm just trying to relay what the Word of God says. Let's go back to verse 6 for a moment. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. As he's a mediator of a new covenant which established on better promises. He is the surety of this covenant. Okay? And he says this is the main point that I'm trying to make. Of this new covenant. This new covenant is that says, I will put my laws and their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And none of them shall teach his neighbor, and none of his brothers shall say, Know the Lord. For if all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. And in verse 12, 
For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. This is the most beautiful part of this new covenant to me. Is that he is merciful to our unrighteousness. We all need to hear that. We all need to hear the tender mercies of God that are new and they are fresh every morning. You cannot outsin God's mercy. Because mercy is not something you deserve. Otherwise, it's not mercy. Mercy is something you undeserve. And it's God's covenant that's built on better promises by a, a, the surety of his priesthood. On a better hope. Okay? All four of these principles I'm bringing out to the light this morning, are all, all four of these are wrapped up into this. And he said, the sins and the lawless deeds I will remember no more. If God's not remembering them, why are you? If God's not remembering your brothers and sisters' trespasses, why are you? Who died and made you king? Okay. And so I know so much I could expound on this. See, when we go back, uh, let, let, let me just follow my trail here. I want to go off on so many rabbit trails here. But now, he has attained a, a more excellent ministry and as much, he has also been a mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. He's a surety of this new covenant. But see, in the old covenant, they did not continue in this old covenant that he made with our, father, our fathers. And because of that, he, just, he disregarded us. See, in the old covenant, in the old covenant the ministry of condemnation and death, we were disregarded. Those were the terms of the old covenant. But now we have a better priest, a better hope, a, stab a better covenant that's established on better promises. And in which this covenant, he said, you see, in the old covenant, he, we, we were just, again, sorry, getting my thoughts mixed up here. In the old covenant, our, we were disregarded because of our mess covenants. We were trapped in this endless cycle. Everything I want to do, I don't do. Everything I don't want to do, I end up doing. But in this covenant, he said, I will write on their hearts and in their minds my laws and my precepts. That I will be their God, they will be my people, and they will know me. And I will be merciful to them. See, in the old covenant, he would never disregard it because of their sins. But in the new covenant, he says, I will be merciful to the righteous. See, in the old covenant, man tried to obey God's commands in their own strength, in their own willpower. Man, apart from Christ, tried to become righteous. And failed. And they, they failed miserably to go back. And they were disregarded. Hopefully I'm making sense. And we got caught in this endless cycle where we cannot control our own flesh. 
our flesh, the lust of our flesh, control us. And we were doomed because we just, we didn't know how to change. But we have a new covenant. And God has established, we don't have to guess what his precepts are. They are written in our minds. They are written in our hearts. He is our God and we are his people. We have a covenant relationship that we know him. And he's been merciful to all of our unrighteousness. And all of our sins and lawless deeds. He didn't disregard us no more. But he says, I will remember them no And in that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. See, in the old covenant, in the new covenant, his mercies, his mercies are new every morning. In the old covenant, that's becoming obsolete. It's growing old. It's not new every morning. It's growing old. And it's ready to vanish away. It's decaying. See, it says in Romans 7, 1, if we go back all the way back to Romans, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who, to, who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. The law has dominion over you who live. But how many of you also know we've been crucified with Christ? It's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. In the life which we now live, we live by the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. The law has power while we live. But if you've received Christ, you're no longer alive. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we know no man after the flesh, even Christ. We have been redeemed. And the main point I'm trying to make this morning, and we're going to continue this talk and go to chapters 9 and 10 next week. But now he has attained a more excellent ministry as much as he is the mediator of a better covenant. That's established on better promises. He is a surety of this new covenant. This is the covenant in his blood that we are supposed to remember of him. And we can do this as often as we drink his cup. To remember this new covenant in his blood. The blood of Jesus. We're going to come back next week. Continue on this thread as we look at chapters 9 and 10, which is really what I wanted to teach today. But I felt I needed to go backwards and give a little more of a backdrop. So really, this whole lesson today was an introduction into next week's lesson. So hopefully you understand that. So God bless you guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.